MNK Talk YA now presents Mask of Shadows Part 2 of the Mask of Shadows Duology by Lindsay Miller. to M&K Talk YA. I'm Katie Bradford. And I'm Marissa Snyder. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast, and this week we finished the first book in the Mask of Shadows duology called Mask of Shadows by Lindsay Miller. Yeah, and it is a duology, the series, and the next book is called Ruin of Stars, and we're going to start that for next week. Um, but for now, we're going to share our thoughts on the first book, Mask of Shadows. What did you think? What did you think of this book so far? Well... I feel like I have a lot of thoughts and I'm not sure how to articulate them well. Okay. I started getting a little bit confused, but I, again, it's like I'm torn between this thing where I actually like a lot that there are so many characters and I feel like it's sort of abnormal for a book. I feel like in a lot of books you can kind of simplify things to like three to five main characters and that seems not very realistic, but that's just how a lot of books are, you know? Mm-hmm. And so this one, I feel like there's so many characters, which is cool and more like representative of a world and especially this thing with this contest and these different groups of people. But I was having trouble keeping track of who was who, who was alive, who was good, who was bad. And so what I would have loved to see is something either at the beginning or the end or even like periodic- periodically through the chapters, like uh, who's left alive or you know, some names again. Oh, that would have been interesting. I think we saw that in, uh, what was that? The Illumini Files, one of those books. There was something where there was like a bunch of people and they kept dying and like every now and again they'd like show us who was alive and dead. That's what I wanted to see for the game or just in general, something I could reference because I'd be like, oh, I heard that name before, but I can't remember if they like created the shadows or defeated the shadows or, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and those are really different things. So I was just having trouble keeping track of, who is who, but I'm also just bad at that in general. So there are just a lot of characters. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, what's interesting about this book is like when things are playing out, I'm, I'm almost having a hard time following it, but then afterwards we get like almost an explanation of what happened, and then I'm like, okay, now I'm following it. Like, for example, whenever Eleven tries to poison Sal with the lady palm, mm-hmm. I was... I didn't really understand what that stuff did. And then 15, like, went crazy and, like, barges in and kills one of the competitors. I think he kills four. Yep. Uh, Oh, yeah, he kills four. And I was like, why did 15 go berserk like that? Like, I was, I didn't understand that it was the lady's palm that, like, made you hallucinate and made you go crazy, and that um, Eleven had rigged every single door with it, and, like, everyone was going crazy who had, like, ingested this poison. Mm-hmm. And so, like, in the scene of the action, I was confused, and then afterwards I was like, oh, now I get it. Okay. Same. And there was actually something that I think I was confused about the whole time I was reading it until I read your notes over later, which was... Oh, really? <laughs> I'm so glad I sent them to you. <laughs> which was... <laughs> had to do with ruby and his identity oh yeah i was so i like wasn't tying together all the different like the way that information was revealed slowly and then the connection that ruby was rodolfo rodolfo is that how you say Mm -hmm. yep the mage 
And that just explains so much because it explains why Five wanted to kill him because we learned that Five's brother was one of the mages that Rodolfo killed. And yep. he like destroyed all the people who knew how to create the shadow magic. And, mm-hmm. his bro- and Five's brother was one of them. So he's like been on a revenge mission this whole time and was like planted yep. to try and kill Ruby. Well, and I didn't, and you know, I thought there, there was obviously something going on with Ruby and the pharmacist lady or whatever her name is. Right. <laughs> I love that we keep calling her that. And then you find out they're s- twins or siblings or whatever. <laughs> right. I was so confused by that. I was like, but she's married. And this is like in front like of her husband. Some, and right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was really confused too. Oh, Lady Isadora. Lady Isadora. Yeah, I need to write. Again, I'm just, you, you know, even with fewer characters, I struggle with names. So this is partially a reader problem but I think that was part of why I missed the con- like I remembered each of those pieces but until I read your notes I did connect that oh, okay that is the same person as that is is that or whatever mm-hmm. so I remembered like five and his brother and I just thought it was like a it was against the whole group because they brought about the death of his brother and then I realized oh no it's the actual guy who killed his brother yeah it's actually Ruby yeah and and then my gosh that end was like so sad whenever um Sal uses Ruby as a shield again I know although also kind of cool way to bring that back around from the scene with five or Mm -hmm. with four and I also totally did not expect this much to happen after the contest was over. I think that also just threw me off a little bit because in my mind, like the end of the book was going to be Sal becomes Opal or someone else becomes Opal and Sal is still alive or whatever. And the, and like that would be the end of it. But instead there were like four or five more chapters and we kind of set the stage a little bit more of in terms of what's going to happen in the next book and what it means to be part of the left hand and all of that. So I, I actually enjoyed that a lot, but I was like surprised. I kept being like, wait, there's more? Oh, yeah. And I'm excited about that. I think I think the structure of the book was really excellent, actually. Like, I think the author really drew us in with, like, this whole assassin competition and it made for a great first book. But now I'm, like, equally excited to see what's going to happen in the next book with Sal trying to kill, um, who was it, that Lord Waylon? Waylon, yeah. And um, I like how the, there's, like, some contention between Sal and the Queen because yeah it's not it's a little distrust still or whatever yeah Yeah. the Queen was like listen I've been kind of biding my time doing what I had to do but we're on the same side Mm -hmm. so yeah I'm like really looking forward to seeing what happens next okay but here I still have a couple questions okay good so I hope I can answer (laughs) number one I realized that Elise's father is Winter who was one of the five names or whatever, however many names there were that were involved in mm-hmm. ruining Sal's country. But... Yeah, and Five was working for Elise's father. But how did Sal figure out that Elise's father was Winter? I was kind of confused by that. Oh, so his name means Winter. So it was just super obvious? I think so. I mean, well... I- okay, like it was just a bad code name? Like it was Winter in a different language or something? I think so, because I was looking at his name, and his name is Nevierno. Mm-hmm. Ne- yeah, Nevierno. And... I don't know. I was just like, this is how I thought of it. Because they do say that the name means winter in the book. But then I was looking at it and Inverno means winter in Italian. And then Nieve means snow 
in Spanish. And so I was just like, okay, I buy it. Like, if you want to say that that means winter, like, I, I buy it. I guess I... Although... I buy that Neither that's... of those languages are, like, <laughs> featured in this book. <laughs> and again, I'm fine that his name is Winter. It just seemed like all of a sudden they got introduced to someone whose name was Winter and they were like, oh, <laughs> like, I happen to be looking for someone whose name was Winter. Like, that, I thought there was going to be, like, another, like, there was another piece of it that I missed, but it was just basically based off the name and then the makeup and just not trusting the dad, the dad at all. Yeah, and uh, now that you mention it, that, it, that it's a really bad code name if, like, your name literally means that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why I thought I missed something else i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll go with it okay yeah. i'll take it so i'm also wondering if that means we'll figure out all the other code names are just like someone's name in a different language oh, or if it'll maybe, be more because i'm trying to f- okay so the ones i really have to find is north star that's the leader okay yeah and then there's winter caldera riparian and deadfall Okay. And then he was like, what was he? He was like Nutcracker or something weird. Yeah, I don't remember. And it wasn't that, but it was Winds, not Windbreaker. <laughs> I'm thinking of the words Cody. <laughs> Villain. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so that brings me to, I have two more questions. Oh, go ahead. I'm like all over the place. <laughs> I think it was like chapter, end of chapter 42 or something. I don't know if that was actually the chapter, but Sal is like, listing the names of the people that they killed yes so they're listing the names grell eight i remember killing grell i remember killing eight eight snuck into the room then seven how did seven die again uh i thought they only killed one competitor am i missing something um was that the one they shot with the arrow oh maybe you mean when they were like working out at the beginning i don't remember that's a good question i only remember the one that snuck into their room mm-hmm. which i think was eight but then they also listed oh, seven no they killed someone during the race didn't they like out in the woods didn't sal kill someone oh then? yeah maybe yeah that I was everything. Right. Okay, that, I, I figured it was in there, obviously. I just couldn't remember it for some reason. And then, obviously, uh, the one they pushed out the window and the, the final task were the five names. The final task was really cool. It was. Like, that was scary, though. Like, when they actually give everyone a real-life person who has either, like, created trouble or committed crimes or have caused unrest, and their last test is, here's your mark, kill them. And, and then don't that get was caught, so... and we'll deny everything if, like, you can't use us as, as an excuse if you get caught. Yeah. And I love that they try and, they almost try and bait Sal because they purposely give Sal that guy, Tor- Tonin, and his partner was Sean DePaul, the mm-hmm. other guy that Sal had, like, sworn revenge against, but Sal couldn't touch him. Yeah. Ooh. And I like how they used that and framed the other guy. Yes, yeah. Sal, um, they totally made it look like Sean, Sean. His name's not Sean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The drunk guy. That guy, guy, yeah. (laughs) The bad guy. (laughs) They made it look like the bad guy killed the other bad guy. (laughs) Okay, but then that also, I thought it was a little bit interesting because... We had this grand challenge at the end, but all three final contestants basically do it well. And then it seemed kind of anticlimactic that Sal just won. I, yeah, I kind of agree. But, I mean, I'm glad, but you're right. I'm glad, and we moved on, and, it, and that's all good. So then my last question mm-hmm. is about Ruby's sister's husband, whose name I can't remember. Nicholas. <laughs> Nicholas. So Nicholas seemed to be warning Sal about winter beforehand, right? Yeah, because 
he tells them, beware the Erland winter. So did Nicholas know anything that was going to happen to Ruby and the sister? Like, is Nicholas a good guy or a bad guy? How did I he... think Nicholas is a good guy because he's the one who sided. He sided with the queen. And we know pretty much now that the queen is on South side. And so I think... But if he knew everything he knew, why didn't he stop things earlier? I think because he can't reveal himself. I, I think he just has to be really careful about how he offers help because he's an Erland, like... I guess, yeah. And, and also the queen said, like... But isn't he also the one who sent Elise to the room instead of going himself? I think so, yeah. So it sort of feels like he... Well, it felt like he warned Sal, didn't go himself, but still let Ruby die, who's the twin of... Or whatever of his wife. It seemed like he could have not revealed himself, but still warned Ruby somehow. Or I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of like, how much does this guy know? And is, or is it just coincidence? I, I feel like he's going to be a big character in the second book. I think so too. And I'm curious if he's 100% good or if he's a little bit out for his own good somehow that Ooh. maybe only partially aligns with the general good. I don't know. Maybe. And I also like love the, the plot against the queen i think is really interesting Mm -hmm. agreed they like want people to believe that she never actually banished the shadows and that she's actually making they're still out there Mm -hmm. yeah and that's like undermining her whole like source of power Mm -hmm. exactly yeah and the whole reason people like rallied behind her it is really clever and so i'm curious how nicholas is gonna play into that because like I think he, I, I don't know if he chose to like support the queen because he believes in her or if he did it to save his own neck, you know? That's what I was saying. I don't know if his interests are his own interests or if they or if they are the interests of the greater good. I love um, Elise's reaction though to her father. Me too. I was unsure because Sal was so nervous when, you know, they were like, I have to take out this guy. Like he, he's causing so many he, bad he's, news mm-hmm. yeah he's basically the reason all this <laughs> terrible stuff is happening and then she was the one who was like don't kill him because he ha- people have to know his crimes okay but then that's another question i have mm-hmm. so that guy managed to push sal out of a window yeah which also sal survives that yeah i did not like that part <laughs> is rescued but the guy who pushed them out the window manages to escape with a prisoner with Elise basically like I feel like even if they got away without killing Sal pushing Sal out the window should have like drawn enough attention that they wouldn't have been able to get away I don't know if that makes sense or maybe they were so concerned with saving Sal that he it was like a good diversion for him to escape maybe but I, I didn't like that all of a sudden Sal fell out a window and I was like oh my gosh especially since they <laughs> pushed us uh, the other guy out Seve, Seves out yeah. Of the window and he died. Yeah. Although he was, wasn't he drunk or knocked out first? But yeah. But I mean, you know, we can't lose the main character in the first book. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm glad that <laughs> Sal is still there. Sal has a lot of work to do, so we need to keep them around. I got really confused about the um, probation scene. Okay. Do you remember when that happened? So um, yep. it was like, I, I got so confused because four like came out of nowhere and was like, uh, 23 killed six. And Sal was like, what? No, I didn't. And it was just, I was so confused about, like, why Sal had to prove their innocence. And the fact that Sal didn't have an alibi. I I was just, like, very confused about the fact that someone could set up another contestant to make it seem like they killed someone. It's like, if you're going to trust anyone's opinion, why would it be another contestant who's also motivated to kill it? If they were out and about to, wouldn't that mean that they were out and about to kind of thing? No, I, I kind of agree. And it actually sparked a lot of my research because then I was all paranoid about like, what do you do if your alibi is, I was asleep in bed alone. Yeah. And no one can prove it. 
because you were asleep in bed alone. <laughs> exactly. I mean, exactly. And like, I got at the end that Four really liked Sal and like didn't want anything to happen to them. So he was like, better for you to be disqualified than dead. But it was just such a strange way to go about it. And it seemed really complicated. And it also seemed like a opportunistic option because. So four was the one who actually killed six, and four happened to see Sal walking around. So I couldn't tell at first if four was just trying to protect themselves, like point the finger before the finger gets pointed oh, at them. Yeah. Or if they planned from the beginning to try to frame Sal for it. And then if you were going to frame Sal for it, I think there should have been more than just one eyewitness. <laughs> exactly. But I guess that made it easier to recant and all that stuff. I love that scene when they poison him. And then they're like, okay, if you want the um, antidote, you have to recant what you said and tell them the truth that I didn't actually kill six. I love that. Yeah. I thought the setup for it was great, even though that was just like an exciting scene in general, too, because that was when the other guy, the crazy guy came in. 15? Right. 15. Yeah. yeah. If I had to pick a scene, a scene that I'd like to see play out in a movie, I think it would be that, that one. I think that would be a good one. I'm trying to think if there would be another cool one. Would be something with, like... I was going to say when they, like, reveal all their faces. I thought that was kind of cool. When Sal becomes Opal, they all share their own identity back. But that was another point where we didn't find out that Ruby was Rodolfo then. So then I was all confused, right? Or did we find out he was Rodolfo then? I think we did. Oh, I guess I missed that. Okay, never mind. But yeah, I, I, I kept forgetting that they were all wearing masks. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it makes sense. They had to hide their identities. But, yeah, I like that scene, too. It was just such, like, a good welcome to the family moment. Welcome to the your weird, scary assassin family. Okay, and that brings me back to... So, Five is now dead, but Five was not chosen to be Opal and was still alive afterwards. So, who was the other... Who was the third contestant? Wasn't it Three? Yeah, you're right. Three. So, is Three still alive out there somewhere? Is Three going to compete for the new Ruby spot? Are they going to have to have another competition? That's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. They need a new Ruby now. So, I was thinking maybe they would just automatically make Three Ruby. Yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. I want to hear about your research, though. Okay, yeah. So, I was, like, kind of freaked out by this whole alibi thing. This is, like, something that I think about. This was, like, totally in line with my fear of being accused for a crime I didn't commit. Like, Uh basically being, like, I was home. I was, like, doing what I was supposed to be doing, but nobody saw me. Basically, I didn't find anything good about what do you do if you were asleep and by yourself. But if you have a weak alibi, here are some things you should do. Number one is to stay silent. So basically, you don't want to say something that can be used against you in a court of law or whatever. Like you want to talk to your lawyer first. And if if you were alone sleeping, you don't want to just tell the police officer that. You want to like get your lawyer there and try and make it as strong as you can. So it could be something like... Uh, maybe there's security cameras that saw you pass by the window as you got into bed, or maybe they said even your Fitbit could help. I don't know when the Fitbit was used in a trial, but mm. that was cool to know. And like, don't lie and and whatnot. So then I was reading about. I like went this. This gets on a really weird tangent, but this was all sparked by the book. So then I was reading about the illusion of the perfect alibi, and I was reading this, like, research paper about establishing the base rate of non-offenders' alibis. So they intentionally accused people of crimes they didn't commit to see, like, made-up crimes or whatever at different times of day and asked them to provide an alibi. So, So it was like, yeah, it was a mock robbery, and... It was either a Tuesday or a Saturday, and they had a bunch of different time frames, and they said the majority of the participants, 99.5%, did have an alibi, Mm. and 92.4% of them had evidence for their alibis. So in some case, the evidence was physical evidence, and in some cases, it was another eyewitness or something like that. And so then I was reading about how 
sorry, this is, again, it's kind of a long chain of events. I love it. Keep going. <laughs> so then I was reading about basically how, why some people aren't believed when they present an alibi. And it looks okay. like in general, if someone is unable to produce an alibi or it's not super believable initially, mm-hmm. their guilt is immediately suspected. So if someone asked oh. you like, what were you doing last Tuesday at 3 p.m. and you weren't able to come up with something off the top of your head, you'd already be suspicious to some people, even though like, oh no, even though you're, you know, like who can remember that? Yeah. So that's why they say Ugh. even like even really weak physical evidence, like a ATM receipt or mm. a parking ticket thing with a date on it or something like that goes a lot further than someone else collaborating your story Mm -hmm. and this it also kind of the support also says if a suspect changes their alibi 80 percent of the police detectives believe that they lied in the initial alibi and trust the suspect less in general so that's another reason why you don't want to you maybe want to be quiet initially until you're like 100 percent sure about what you want to say about your alibi oh okay and okay so anyways there was some more like interesting science stuff but i went off on this whole from there i was like so what about identical twins (laughs) Because, you know, twins are always interesting. I was reading some funny stories. Like, there was this one woman in Buffalo, New York, who stole $206 worth of hotel room paraphernalia, which also, (gasps) funny crime. (laughs) And she told every, or she told the police that it was her twin sister who really did it. And it turned out she didn't even have a twin. So, oh my god. That's kind of funny. That's the worst alibi ever. Yeah, I read some really like funny alibis too, but I think we've talked about some of those before. So okay, but so then I was looking for times when twins did get away with like murder or other crimes, either intentionally or unintentionally, because of the fact that they had a twin. Have you heard of George and Charles Finn? No. They were World War II pilots who in the 1950s, they got into this like legal battle with the federal government over their claim to a C-46 transport plane. And so in order to like hide the plane from the feds, one of the twins absconded with the plane and hid it in the Nevada desert. Oh my God. Eventually they found the plane and the twins, but the grand jury was unable to indict either one of them because eyewitnesses couldn't distinguish between them. Mm-hmm. But then, this is kind of funny, this is like come, what goes around, comes around a little bit. Then in 1960, George had been, no, yes, they were looking for George. George had been in some kind of like brawl or something. Oh, okay. But they accidentally or mistakenly arrested Charles because they looked the same. So that was just kind of funny. So their identity helped them once and hurt them another time. Oh, so man. then I was reading about, so this is, something I didn't know either. I guess in Malaysia, drug trafficking carries a mandatory death sentence. Whoa. But in 2009, there were some Malaysian identical twins who avoided this death sentence because the judge ruled that the prosecutors failed to prove which twin was the owner of a stash of narcotics that they found. Oh, no. So that was, you know, good for them that they didn't have to die for that. And then there was a murder outside an Arizona nightclub in the late 2000s in February. I forget the year and it was either Orlando Nimhard or his twin brother Brandon who committed the murder but multiple eyewitnesses disagreed on which twin was the gunman oh my god so they they held one of them for like yeah. months but eventually had to drop the charges because they couldn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt that what? one or the other committed the crime so even though they knew it was one of them they couldn't prove which one that's crazy this hasn't happened before but I guess one of the relatives of the victim was like just put them in a room and let them figure it out but that's not what they do in law <laughs> Well, obviously they knew which one. Like exactly. Well, that's what I mean. But I think they were both like pointing to each other or denying it. Uh... So again, that's why some of these might have been intentional, but some of them I think were unintentional. Again, this is the same thing. What if you had a twin and they committed a crime, but they were like, "I didn't do it. It was her." Hmm. 
it, you would also just say the same thing, right? I didn't do it, it was them. Yeah, but then I also feel like you could go the other way where you're both like covering for the other, like you won't know which one did it, so we're not saying anything. Yeah. Like if you thought you could get away with it. Yeah, if you could protect. But also in some of these cases, if they really are like a good twin and an evil twin. Like just because I maybe tried to help my sister out from like being executed for having drugs on them or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if they like murdered someone in cold blood in front of a nightclub, I don't think I'd be like, I'm not going to say anything. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe Megan or Aaron, you can still come to me. So then sometimes it, alibis actually help people. So in 1993, this New York woman accused one of her twin stepsons of sexual assault and attempted murder, mm. but he had an airtight alibi. So they actually arrested his brother. <laughs> but in cases where there are twins who try to repeatedly use this mistaken identity trick, they'll sometimes find, like, scars or tattoos that they tell the authorities to help them, like, tell each other apart. Oh, okay. And actually, identical twins, while they have, like, the same genetic makeup, they will have distinct fingerprints because your fingerprints are say, influenced yeah. by environmental factors. So in some cases, that can help, especially if you have... Or, like, different teeth records, like, different... I don't know. I feel like, yeah, there's ways you can tell them apart. There was this guy in Signal Mountain, Tennessee, who was jailed for 36 hours until the Louisiana fingerprint scan proved that it wasn't him. It was mm. his deceased twin brother who was wanted. Um, but in, like, that Nemhard case I was talking about, they couldn't find the murder weapon. So the one where the guy shot someone in front of the nightclub, they couldn't find the murder weapon, so they didn't have fingerprints to prove it. And the Finn brothers mm. both had touched the plane everywhere, so that didn't help to say which one had actually driven or flown off with it or whatever. But they also, I was reading about, there's this new kind of, I don't know, genetic evidence that I had never heard of, and I didn't do any additional research. So this could be complete BS. But okay. <laughs> it's this thing called epigenetics which is the chemical modification to DNA that may change how DNA is expressed. And I guess there was some study that shows that the epigenetic profile of identical twins differs because of small difference in uterine environment. So it's not like at a point now where it could be used in trials, but it could potentially be explored more and maybe would help distinguish between twins down the road. You know what this is making me think of? What? Have you read Dueled by Elsie Chapman? Nope. It's like, I, I thought it was an interesting series. It's this YA book about everyone is born with a genetic twin, but the twin is raised by a separate family. And at a certain, I think it's like when you get to a certain age, um, when you get to that birthday, every citizen has to prove their worth by killing their twin. Oh, man. I know. And so if you survive, it's like you get, you, you prove your worth to society. And it's about kind of like weeding out the weak people so it's like a horrible premise but it's also like i remember reading it and just like thinking this is such an interesting concept because it was like as soon as you turn 20 or something you know that your twin is out there looking for you trying to kill you and you also have to find them and kill them before they kill you it's like oh it's so creepy that kind of happens in the original sabrina the teenage witch sitcom when you turn 16 i guess in the two parallel, like, universes, there's, in the Spellman family, at least, there's twins, and they, like, <laughs> have to fight, and the good, one of them's good, and one of them's evil, and they have to prove which one of them is the good one, and the evil oh, one has to, like, be pushed into a pit. It's a lot funnier than the book you just described, though. <laughs> <laughs> is that weird that that's what I thought of? Um, I also made me think of, um, I donate my hair a lot, mm-hmm. and... I read something where someone posted and they were like, so um, my daughter wants to donate her hair, but she's worried that if the person who she donates her hair to commits a crime that she could be like oh. accused because if they leave DNA evidence of her hair at the crime scene, like, <laughs> 
And then they were like, also, she's 12. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God, I had never even considered that. Like, all the times I've donated my hair, I never once was like, this is my DNA that I'm just giving to someone. <laughs> I've done it twice, and I actually have some hair that I've been meaning to send in. What if someone just comes into my house and takes it and yeah, and scatters it, it all a over a scene? crime scene? Oh Ooh. my goodness! As if I don't have enough to worry about for all these mm-hmm. crimes I'm gonna be framed right. for. And I did read some funny, just like ridiculous alibi attempts. Most of them, which failed, like the guy who thought he was a werewolf, or the guy who said the nutmeg made him do it. I don't know, just some kind of crazy story. I was reading some of them too, actually. I mean, that wasn't all my research this week, but I was just reading a few funny ones. Mm-hmm. So there was a guy named Jer- Gary Joseph, and he was brought up on murder charges charges for killing. Uh, a woman named Jane Gill in 1991. And he, oh, his name was Gary Joseph Rass. And he said that he didn't do it and that there was a witness to the murder, but the witness was the victim's parrot, Max. And when they, and they like went to talk to this parrot and the parrot was saying, don't shoot, Richard, no, 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 no. And so the guy was like, here's my alibi. I clearly didn't do it. Richard did. And they were like, who's Richard? (laughs) <laughs> and the, his did lawyer tried to call the bird as a witness, but the judge wouldn't allow it. <laughs> and it ra- and the guy was found guilty of the crime. <laughs> I read a lot of funny things where people like took movies and stuff too seriously. Like someone thought they were in the Matrix, so they yep. killed their landlady or something. Or the the stalker who there's this man who was accused of stalking like multiple times in Australia, but he said. In Bollywood, like he kept basically kept approaching these women who were rejecting him, and he said that Bollywood taught him that if you like do it enough times, eventually the girl will say yes or whatever. Oh no! And just kind of some crazy stories. But then you're, it's also this like thing where it's like, is someone actually crazy, or are they really smart to come up with this? Because some of these people, like their defenses were so ridiculous, but they actually got off on like insanity chart or not got off but they were yeah tried as insane instead of sane um well there was a guy who used an alibi his alibi was that he was too busy doing heroin to have committed the crime <laughs> oh man i still love the person who was just like it was my twin and like the police check and she doesn't even have a twin <laughs> <laughs> i know that is like that is the absolute that's worst. pretty ballsy yeah <laughs> But also, it's just like how, like how stupid are you to think that they're not going to check that? I uh, yeah, I don't know. There was another one that I read where um, there was a army reserve soldier who was refused vacation time, and then in the year after, he shot his superior officer like as revenge, and he oh, said man. that the reason he did it was because he was on a crash diet and he was hungry. Oh, I read that one. Yeah, yeah, isn't that insane? The judge did it not is. buy it and he was sentenced to life in prison, but like, I was hungry. <laughs> but that's also a reason you should feed me snacks regularly just to avoid me accidentally killing someone out of hunger. I do get really hangry. <laughs> Robert saw that, actually. Did I tell you that story? No, I don't think so. We were like watching Allison run the marathon and I was starving afterwards. I hadn't run the marathon, but I was just hungry from cheering. And <laughs> we like were taking a cab to go get food and we couldn't. And, like, we couldn't find the place or something, or we were at the wrong location, and I, like, completely flipped out on Robert. (laughs) And he was, like, legit terrified of me for a good, like, ten seconds. (laughs) 
I had to apologize afterwards. I felt really bad. <laughs> oh, man. I get it, though. You're not you when you're hungry. You really aren't. Or whatever that advertising <laughs> Okay, so I researched some famous assassins because... Ooh, good. Because we're all training to be assassins we're after this book. Yeah, we're, we're all competing to be assassins in this book. Um, okay, have you heard of Matahari? I have not. <laughs> I don't think I've heard of any assassins, really. Well, her name is um, Margarita McLeod, and she was an exotic dancer... And she was also a courtesan who was convicted of being a spy for Germany during World War One. Ooh. And she's known as the greatest woman spy of the 20th century. And she was accused of delivering allied military secrets to Germans and caused about 50,000 French soldiers. Wow. Brought about their deaths. Okay. Obviously, I'm not pro that because I was on the allied right. side. But I do think it's kind of cool that, like... When women take advantage of the fact that they're sort of overlooked, especially in certain roles or positions, mm-hmm. and are able to, like, like when men are like, oh, well, women are no threat kind of thing, and they just, like, talk about stuff in right. front of them, and then they, like, use that against them. Well, and she totally used that to her advantage, because she had liaisons as, like, a courtesan and exotic dancer with so many high-ranking military officers that she was able to just learn all of their secrets and, like, pass it on to... She passed it on to the bad guys, essentially. Well, that's bad, but... Still good for you, woman. But, yeah, I know. And she um, was executed by the French in 1917, and it's rumored that she flung open her coat to reveal her body and was naked and tried to distract the firing squad. I don't believe that's (laughs) true, but interesting end to the story. Of course, that's what they would say that the exotic dancer spy did at the end. Right. I know. Exactly. Like, oversimplify her. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, if you like women's spy stories, you should read The Alice Network if you haven't. Oh, what's that? It's about, it was one of the, like, Reese Witherspoon book club books. It's telling, like, two stories at once. It's based on this true, like, group of female spies, but... Part of it takes place during World War One, which is like kind of the spy story, and then part of it takes place right after World War Two, and someone's looking for like their cousin or something, and the stories kind of go back and forth and eventually connect somehow. Oh wow, that's cool. Mm-hmm. It was really good. Okay, have you heard of the Iceman? I don't know why I asked. Nope. Like, who, who let's just say, it. let's just say I have not <laughs> heard of any of these people. Um. Okay, his name was Richard Kuklinski. He... Oh, why didn't you say that? I've heard of him. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, he was a married father of two from New Jersey who was recruited by a crime family. He's said to have killed 100 to 200 men under contract by the mafia. Wow. He got his nickname due to the fact that he once froze a victim in attempts to confuse the time of death for the coroner. So I'm so Sounds curious. Sounds like a real shithead. How did he get into the killing business? Like, was he a normal family guy? He was recruited. And then, yeah, so how do they, like, recruit these people? Like, it wasn't like he That's grew up question. in the mob or in a gang or something and then, like, was surrounded by violence and yada yada. It's like, he was a normal family guy and then they were like, hey, he, I think you'd be good at killing people. I don't think it works that way. I feel like you have to know someone who's in it already and maybe they kind of court you. I, I mean, there has to be some kind of connection. It's not like someone's going to come up to you and James and be like, with a pamphlet and it's like, <laughs> would you, would you like yeah. to join our cult? <laughs> I am looking for new work if someone's like oh i have an idea what do you think about this line of business he oh my gosh he had a vast range of weapons with which he used to commit his murders including crossbows ice picks grenades poison chainsaws and hungry rats wow did his family know 
very good question. He was married. Yeah, he has. He was a father of two from New Jersey. This is Tony Soprano. Are we talking about Tony Soprano here? <laughs> crazy. Ugh. It is crazy. And then even okay. So again, okay. So maybe you get recruited into this business, but it mm-hmm. also seems crazy that there's like what you said over a hundred men that he was hired to kill. Two hundred. Oh yeah. So. How many, like, how are you even getting these jobs? Like, where do you post, like, yeah, muscle for hire or whatever? Like, I mean, it's got to be word of mouth or something. But it's just, it's still kind of crazy to think that, like, there's enough people out there hire, like, I don't know. It's just kind of crazy. Hiring people to kill people? Yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. So terrifying. And I'd be so nervous about getting caught. Like, how do you know that the person who's asking you to kill someone is not a good guy, aka a bad guy, if you're the bad guy? Right. I'm really getting my bad guys and good guys mixed up. <laughs> I know. We're getting, we're getting all confused. <laughs> The good ally spy and the, the nice little murderer man. Oh, man. Okay. What else you got? All right. I have one more. There was a Chinese military officer named um, Shi Kongbin who was murdered by a warlord in 1925. And his daughter decided that she was going to avenge him. Good for you. And it, because the guy who killed her father killed him in a really bad way, like a horrific way. Like he mounted his head on a pike at a local train station. Like it was terrible. When was this? 1925. Okay. So, this man's daughter, her name was Shi Jianpuo. I I might have pronounced that wrong. But she tracked down her father's murderer and assassinated him with three shots from her pistol. But instead of running away, she stayed in the scene and she handed out a piece of pieces of paper, like leaflets, to everyone nearby that explained why she did it. Hmm. And... So she, I mean, like, I can't imagine, like, what a scene that would be like. She, she, she shot a guy in broad daylight and then handed out, like, little pamphlets being like, this is why I did this. Mm-hmm. And in the end... Would you take one? What? If you were there, would you have taken one? Probably. If someone, like, has a gun and just shot someone and is handing me a piece of paper, I'll probably take it. <laughs> She'd be like, yeah, okay, yes, ma'am. Well, that's true. But I also think people are so curious. Like, I think people would be so curious, too. I think people would, like, want to take it. Yeah. But maybe not. Maybe it would just be fear. But I, I don't know. But in the end, she was given a full pardon for filial what? piety. What is that? So, like, they respected so much that she was avenging her father's death that they didn't charge her with a crime. Huh. Wow. Yeah. She got free. She got off. It is. You see that in, like, TV shows and movies a lot, you know, where someone's, like, family is gunned down in front of them and they, like, Oof. disappear for 10 years and become, like, an assassin or mm-hmm. whatever and take revenge. I always wonder, like... I don't think that's how I would respond. Like, I like those movies. I'd like to think that I'd, like, want... Like, I mean, I get the, like, desire for revenge, but I just, like, can't imagine being, like, I'm gonna go... I don't know. Avenge my family. I definitely don't have the set of skills necessary to do that, so I would probably just, you know, go to a lot of therapy and try and move forward. Because I know I would get caught or end up killing, like, some bystander that's what i would be worried about i'd accidentally stab myself and bleed out or something <laughs> like a hundred percent yeah i don't trust myself enough to take revenge and then i'd blame my twin <laughs> that, that i don't that you don't have uh, and then they'll look at my research for the podcast and be like this girl looks up some weird stuff she definitely committed all these crimes why does she so obsessed with the ice man <laughs> Why is she so worried about getting caught? She did She did it. She must have done it. Okay. She just researched how to have a great alibi. <laughs> yeah. She was not asleep in bed. Ah, uh, oh, man. Please don't accuse me of a crime. I wouldn't handle it well. Um, what else do we have to talk about? Those were kind of my big things from this week. And now I kind of want to see what's going to happen next. Should we talk about the next book, Ruin of Stars? Yes, we should. First of all, I like the name. 
I do too. I'm into it. And it's kind of cool, like Mask of Shadows. We didn't really talk about it specifically. Like you said, you kind of forgot everyone was in masks, and like mm-hmm. the shadows are these creatures or whatever you want to call them that had been around previously, and now they're framing it as this evil that's come back. And I, I didn't really think about it at first. Like a Mask of Shadows didn't mean anything to me at first, but now it does. So I'm kind of curious to see what Ruin of Stars ends up meaning. Yeah. Do you want to read the back cover? Should we first predict anything? What do you think is going to happen? Ooh, okay. Um, I love predictions. I love my bad predictions that don't come true. First first of all, Sal and Elise end up together at the end, right? Yeah. Let's go ahead and say that. Um, I think three becomes the next Ruby. Okay. I think... Is the queen good or bad at the end of the day? Is the queen still in power and we like oh. her? Or have we overthrown the queen? Or what do you think happens with the queen? Um, I'm going to guess the queen is overthrown. Okay. And Nicholas is in charge? That's my guess. I don't know. Do we think Nicholas is going to be good or bad? I don't really think he's going to be good, actually. I take that back. Okay. Maybe yeah, Elise is in charge? No. Maybe, yeah. I, don't, I mean, else? I wouldn't mind Who that. do we know? She kind of seems like she could be a good politician one day, right? Oh, yeah. I can see it. Do we think the shadows are actually going to come back? No. I don't think they really come back, but I do okay. think that people believe they are back. Okay. What do you think? At first, the first half, I really thought the shadows were going to come back, but now I think I agree with you. I think they're just pretending that they are. But that's boring. Like, I actually kind of, I don't want them to come back because I know they cause a lot of problems, but, like, it would be more interesting to see them. Yes and no, because I always get a little bit nervous when people, like, just throw in magic. You know, I kind of like in this book, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, how this has sort of taken place after some, like, it's at a different stage than most of the YA dystopian, like, change the world books we read, because, like, the revolution... A lot of the right. dramas already happened, and I kind of like that there was magic, but it's gone now. So it almost, I think it, I think I might be a little bit disappointed if magic ends up being part of the solution or part of the problem. And like comes back, yeah. It's like an, it's like a cop out almost. Like I kind of like that. I, I'm excited for people to believe that the magic's back, but I hope it all has like a, a different explanation. I agree. I don't know what other predictions I have. Oh, no, never mind. <laughs> I was trying to think if anyone's going to, like, redeem themselves, like, who we think is... Well, yeah, because, like, Five's dead now. Yeah. Like, there's... I, mean, I was, like, thinking if maybe wait, Lady Isadora would want to take revenge for her brother, but then I remember Five's dead. So, like, we kind of... We have this Lord Waylon who's going to be the new villain, I think, but... Do you think we'll meet anyone else from N- Nasia or whatever it's called? Ooh, like another survivor? Yeah. That would be actually really cool. I hope we learn more about Sal's history because I know we learned a little bit about their siblings, or at least mm-hmm. that they had siblings. Mm-hmm. So I kind of hope we get more of that. Yeah. And also Maud's history because yeah. we learned that Maud has three siblings too who are going to be like essentially sold out as servants if she can't buy them first. Which hopefully she can now that... Yeah, now that Sal's... We, Sal is Opal. Yeah. Also, I'm going to get so confused... Do you think in the next book it's Sal or Opal? How do we refer to them? Uh, good question. Opal. Yeah, let's use their their official name now. Also, so I we had a um, death in the family last week, and it was my husband's grandmother whose name was Opal. And I was like Aww. reading this book, and then like seeing all this stuff at the funeral about Opal, and I was like, this is like eerily connected somehow or something. So that's a beautiful name. It is. It, it made me, like, think about it. Because in this book, even though it's the name, because it's all... Con- like, even Ruby could also be a name, but they're all connected to the rings. So I wasn't really thinking of them as names as much as I was just thinking of them as, like, nicknames based off jewels. And then, yeah. yeah. And then I was thinking about it as an actual name, and I was like, oh, I actually really like that. 
And it used to be way more common. I've never met anyone named Opal from our generation. I have no, I've never met an Opal either. But um, my best friend from college just had a baby and named her Ruby. Oh. So I always like, yeah, I like think of her when I'm reading this too. Cool, cool. Who would have thought? Do you know an emerald or an amethyst? <laughs> I don't think I so. I do not. <laughs> I don't think so. Nope. I know like Emmys, but that's it. Okay. Yep. So now I'm ready. Whose turn is it to read the back? I don't remember. Do you want me to do it? Yeah. <laughs> my book's across the room. <laughs> no worries. Okay. As one of the queen's assassins, Sal finally has the power, prestige, and permission to hunt down the lords who killed their family. But Sal still has to figure out who the culprits are and must enlist some old friends and enemies to help. Ooh, I wonder if, um, what's, what's the guy from the beginning's name again? Oh, oh, oh. You know who I'm talking about? Her, like, partner from back when she worked for Grill? I wonder if he'll come back around. Um, yes. Meanwhile, tensions are escalating with the queen and the charming Elise is being held prisoner by her father. But there's something terribly wrong in the North. Talk of the return of shadows, missing children, and magic abounds. Uh-oh. There's mm-hmm. magic. <laughs> As Sal takes out the people responsible for their ruined homeland, they learn secrets and truths that can't be forgotten. In this thrilling conclusion to the Mask of Shadows duology, Lindsay Miller weaves a tale of magic, shadows, and most importantly, the sweetness of revenge. I do okay. like that it's a duology. We've talked about Me that too. a lot, but I feel like that'll be good. And I feel like it did set up well. So even though when I was reading it, I was expecting it to have ended earlier, I like, I thought it was like a good amount of still building off the same story, but also setting the stage for hopefully what's coming next. Wrath. Wrath was the friend. Yes, Wrath. Um, and I wonder how many more dead bodies we're going to get. So Sal has killed five people so far. Do you think it'll be more than... Oh, yeah. Sal's definitely going to kill all the... What's the over-under... All the other Caldera and all the other guys or girls. Do you think more or less than seven more people? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe less. I would go with less. <laughs> Should that be our over-under number? I've always heard that term used in like gambling. I'm not entirely sure I know what it means, but I think that means it's like 50% think higher and 50% think lower, right? I think, I don't know. <laughs> okay, I'm going to pretend that's what it means and that's okay. going to be our number. So, or... Let's say six. Do you think okay. over or under six? Oh, uh, over. <laughs> I'm all over the place. Okay, so I'll say less than six and you say more than six. Okay. I'm writing it down. Okay, good. We'll see what happens. Dun, dun, dun. We, and whoever wins this bet gets to... Uh, <laughs> I can't think of anything good. Oh. Has to edit an extra week in a row at the other okay. person's choosing. Even okay. though we like never argue about that, but it's all good. That's that's, that's fair. <laughs> okay, now I'm really stressed out. What's next? Oh, how far do we read? <laughs> chapter twenty-seven. Okay, read up to chapter twenty-seven for next week. Do you have a joke for me? I need I need some. That was really stressful. I don't know why. <laughs> I know. I think it's because I read this. I read it like a week ago, kind of, and I was. Kind of, a little bit drunk on a plane so <laughs> I was like having trouble following it and then I but thank god I took like really good notes <laughs> I feel like the only thing that stressed me out was deciding was trying to come up with the bet at the end of it because I hadn't put any thought into it ahead of time and the words were coming out of my mouth and I couldn't finish my thoughts <laughs> <laughs> but regardless we both need a joke do you have one yes I have an assassin okay. joke Ooh, perfect timely I just destroyed the punchline shoot <laughs> Okay. What has... <laughs> I 
Power Fatality anyway now. Wood has two butts and kills people. <laughs> An assassin? An assassin. <laughs> oh my god, what is wrong with me tonight? I can't talk. I like... I, something's wrong. <laughs> I love it though. No, that's great. I, I'm glad it was you and not me this time. I've done that before. I do that almost every time I tell a joke. As I ruin the punchline. Usually when I'm asking it, not when I'm setting it up, but still. But this whole episode, I've just been like <laughs> tripping over my words. It's okay. We're going to edit it. It's going to sound real, real good. It's okay. I don't think I've ever gone through a whole episode where I've gotten every character's name right. I always <laughs> come up with a random reference. I'm glad you can usually follow who I'm trying to reference at least. Oh, but. yeah. I, I I'm pretty good at that by now. <laughs> All right. Do you want an, an, another joke that I didn't ruin? Yeah, sure. Okay, what do you call a child who refuses to sleep during nap time? A uh, nap assassin. No. <laughs> um, guilty of resisting arrest. <laughs> oh, man. That's probably too real for people with kids. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. If you want to get in touch with us, you can give us some pointers. <laughs> We need all the help we can get. <laughs> no, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com or you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at mnktalkya. And fun fact, we are now on Spotify. So if that's how you listen to your podcast, you can still find us on Podbean and iTunes and the website and whatever else you've used. But we're also on Spotify now, which is very exciting. That was so fun when I woke up today and went on Spotify and saw us there, our little logo. I, like, never use Spotify, but I keep going because I think our page looks cool, even though it's the same logo and everything else that we use (laughs) elsewhere, but it just, like, feels cool to me. I don't know why. Because it's new. (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah, check it out. And we will see you next week. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.